Welcome to Suspending the Rules, Bloomberg Government's weekly look at what's happening in Congress. The government is open, at least for now. After 35 days of partial government shutdown, President Donald Trump and lawmakers agreed on a three-week stopgap funding bill on Friday. I'm Adam Taylor. This is Suspending the Rules from Bloomberg Government. And I'm Danielle Parnas. In the second segment, we'll discuss lawmakers' efforts to bring down drug prices. First, though, the ongoing spending fight, which now has a February 15th deadline. BGov budget and appropriations reporter Jack Fitzpatrick and legislative analyst team lead Adam Shank are back with us to discuss where we are and what comes next. Welcome. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. The three-week continuing resolution has widely been portrayed as a political win for the Democrats. Jack, how is this deal playing out on the Hill? It was definitely portrayed and, and considered on the Hill as a win for Democrats and sort of an unnecessary amount of pain for Republicans. I think the first sign of that even came before the shutdown ended. That Thursday before they struck a deal was when they held two competing votes in the Senate. They both failed, but Democrats actually got more votes than the Republicans. Republicans did 52 to 50. After a meeting with Mike Pence with the Senate Republican Conference, there was some frustration among Republicans and Democrats even came out of those meetings saying it seemed that Republicans had sort of learned their lesson on this and learned that there was nothing left to gain. And that's when everybody decided they expected an end to the shutdown. So this really was a, a case of Republicans caving without getting what they asked for. And I think that'll kind of color the discussion moving forward over the next three weeks. There was a lot of drama the last couple of weeks about whether the State of the Union would be happening as scheduled for this Tuesday, January 29th. Letters were going back and forth between House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and President Trump, ultimately ending with Pelosi not allowing the House chamber to host the speech while parts of the government remained closed. Now that the shutdown has ended, where do things stand with the State of the Union? Well, it's definitely not happening Tuesday. They don't have a date set up for it, but Pelosi had said, uh, we'll have discussions about holding the State of the Union when the shutdown is over. Now it's at least temporarily over, so they could line one up in the fairly near future, although it's not an easy event to plan immediately. But it's not something that's just been put off. The The invitation will come at some point, and they'll find a, a date in the near future. It seems that everybody's assuming it'll be relatively soon for an actual State of the Union. Yeah, the only thing I would add there is I, I think that there is a bit of an open question as to the timing, like like Jack said. But one thing I, I do wonder is if it if it waits until after they come to an agreement on the remaining spending bills, you know. And I think that that's another question for the spending fight going forward. I, I think I would expect, and, and Jack, tell me if you disagree, but them to pass all of the outstanding spending bills as a as a seven bill omnibus package. I think there was sort of a question at, at first about whether or not the House or, or rather Congress would take up the sort of pre-conferenced bills that the House passed multiple times over the last 35 days as a sort of standalone package and then just take up the Homeland package whenever it was ready. But but it sounds like that won't be the case. Yeah, it doesn't sound like they're going to do that. They, we haven't gotten detailed descriptions yet of exactly when this conference committee is going to meet and what the exact plan is. But it sounds like Trump and Republicans probably don't want to give away their leverage and just allow them to pass the other 
other six bills, and Democrats would probably be happy doing a seven-bill package so that this doesn't all fall through. You have plenty of motivation for people to vote yes uh, on a number of things that they want to fund. I do want to talk about that conference committee for a minute. That was part of the deal that reopened the government. Rather than directly providing funding for a wall, there's going to be a conference committee that I think the conferees have now been appointed to work out the details of the Homeland Security funding bill. Do we have any inclination where those talks are going to go? This should be a little more predictable than the shutdown fight. These are all appropriators on a panel of conferees, House and Senate, 17 total, nine Democrats and eight Republicans. These are lawmakers who tend to work together well, so I wouldn't be surprised if they come up with a deal maybe somewhat similar to what the Senate had done last year on homeland appropriations. They did $1.6 billion for fencing. I can't guarantee that that's what it'll be this time. The one big question on this is where does the president come in? Does this group of lawmakers kind of get along and strike a deal and then it gets blown up by Trump who said today or or yesterday told the Wall Street Journal he thinks there's less than a 50-50 chance of them getting a deal that is satisfactory to him. So these are are lawmakers. In fact, uh, Richard Shelby and uh, Patrick Leahy, a day before the shutdown ended, said that they could solve all of these issues in a few hours. They're very confident in their ability to work together. And they're the top appropriators in the Senate. Yes, the top two appropriators in the Senate. The House members don't have as much of a history of compromising and striking those kinds of deals. But overall, these lawmakers have a lot more chemistry than the meetings with Trump, Schumer, and Pelosi. The question is, do they come up with something that they all like and then manage to sell the president on it? Or does he continue to be negative about the chances of this succeeding, which he has been so far? Yeah. And the only thing I would add to that is when the president gave his address announcing that the shutdown was going to end, he did adopt a lot of the language that many Democrats had been using just prior to that, sort of about the smart wall and hardening ports and those kinds of things. So while he hasn't exactly been conciliatory in his language, the fact that he sort of adopted those terms and used kind of what the Democrats were using in his speech was sort of an interesting tell, you know, whether or not that actually results in him accepting something that doesn't actually fund a barrier is an open question, but it was something that was sort of eyebrow raising at the time. Well, all along, people have been waiting for Trump to call a fence a wall and take some fencing money or really just rely on semantics to not win the battle, but cast it as a win. And that really is sort of what people are still waiting on over the next three weeks. Jack Fitzpatrick covers budget and appropriations for Bloomberg government. And Adam Shank is the legislative analyst team lead. Thanks, as always, for coming on. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us. In just a moment, we'll take a look at House and Senate plans to take on drug pricing. Two committees this week will renew a push to lower the prices Americans pay for medicine. Danielle Parnas covers health care for the Bloomberg government legislative analyst team, so she and Adam Shank have switched sides of the table. Danielle is joined by BGov health care policy reporter Alex Ruoff. Welcome back. Thanks. The House Oversight and Reform Committee and the Senate Finance Committee will hold separate hearings on Tuesday to start the legislative push on drug pricing. Alex, what's on their agenda? Well, uh, there are actually two somewhat separate agendas. The oversight is starting with a pretty aggressive 
kind of fact-finding push. They're called, they've sent all these letters seeking information about how exactly drug companies spend their revenues. While the finance committee, particularly the chairman, has someone already decided what their approach is going to be. Chuck Grassley, you know, who's a long time been on top of uh, drug pricing, has long been kind of an advocate for drug pricing, has already kind of laid out some of the bills, some of the ways he wants to approach drug pricing this year. It, it kind of focuses on patent reforms, maybe drug reimportation, whereas the House side, you know, they haven't really laid out what exactly they want to do. They, I think they're going to try to more lay out their case over these few months, over the next year or so. So they're both starting at this point, but they sort of have different ways of jumping on this issue. Democrats and even some Republicans have started introducing and reintroducing bills from previous Congresses to bring down prices. Danielle, tell us about some of these. We've seen a lot of these proposals before. Though, as Alex mentioned, there will be more in the coming weeks and months as, as Congress works on this and the administration also works on the issue. But things from Democrats like allowing Medicare to negotiate drug prices directly, importing drugs from Canada. There's a, a measure to tie drug prices to the average price in other countries where they're typically lower, um, which is actually similar to something that came out of the administration. And then again, as Alex mentioned, an effort to increase generic drug development by targeting tactics such as pay for delay and product samples from brand name companies. Some of these proposals from Democrats probably won't go anywhere once they they get to the Senate. Medicare negotiations, for instance, have been labeled a non-starter by some Republicans. What issues do have bipartisan support? I would mention again the drug importation from Canada, though, you know, there's a slight difference between the more bipartisan measures where they're more targeted toward personal use and Democrats have proposed a little bit broader to allow pharmacies, other wholesalers also to import those drugs. But that's an area where you could see some common ground. And the generic development bills also have bipartisan support, though I know, Alex, you've covered this in the past. They haven't really gained traction before this, so it'll be interesting to see how how it plays out this year. Oh, yeah. I think when we talk about having bipartisan support, we're kind of asking what does is, what is Chuck Grassley want to do and you know where does he want to work as you know I, I might be getting ahead of myself but the Republicans have historically been a little reluctant to get into this mess you know into drug pricing part of it's philosophical Republicans don't love price controls they don't like to you know mess with markets whereas Democrats are more interested in saying government should do something very particular you know do something here should step in there's a philosophical side there's also in the lobby for pharmaceuticals has leaned writer in at least the past five years you know they've allied them a lot of Republicans, particularly in leadership, and, you know, it's shown on the approach. And the argument, you know, from the industry perspective is that if you limit, if you lower the prices and you're lowering revenue, that would ultimately affect, you know, drug development and access to potentially new life-saving medications. So, you know, that's sort of the angle that they take as well. So with, um, you know, the talk of sort of Chuck Grassley's interest in the issue and the the Trump administration making their, their push to drive down drug prices, what do you what do you see as the end game here? How does how is this going to play out? That's actually an interesting question. I think it's going to depend a little bit on one what the drug industry does this year. They are sort of there's a sense, particularly when big industries like this feel pressure from Congress. There's a question about whether they do something, whether or not they start reaching out to say, look, we'll put our own maybe price caps in maybe Medicare. They, they've talked a little bit about this in recent weeks. Maybe we'll volunteer to you know pay more in certain spaces. 
is I think there's a question about whether or not they try to appease lawmakers without you trying to preempt legislation. I think that's a big curveball they're going to try to throw Congress or try to kind of convince them. And the other question is, yeah, I think there's going to be like where these issues pop up. I think there's some longstanding small things where we definitely think they're going to go after. Pay for delay is a good one. This idea of cre- helping create more generic drugs by fixing issues with the patent system. These are really intriguing ideas that kind of like it's a green map that's a good way to nibble around the edges and they create money. They don't cost money, which anyone can tell you it's better to have something that gives you money. Um, but it's, it makes it easier to pass them, makes you kind of combine them with other bills that come along. So I think those are going to be big factors here is necessarily what comes up here. I would say a big thing working against drug pricing this year is there's not a lot of big must pass bills coming up. The spending bills have been a little more acrimonious as of late, and I think it, it's hard to ride on things lately. And I think one of the big questions is, is if you put a drug pacing legislation together, it's not going to show up to the Senate by itself. It's going to show up in maybe a spending bill, maybe another big piece of healthcare legislation. And there's just not that many. You know, they don't have to reauthorize the FDA this year. There's there's just not that much stuff coming up that people see as a as a you know carrying these these proposals. So you know what they find as a vehicle for is going to be a big question. All right, Alex Ruoff covers healthcare policy for Bloomberg government, where Danielle Parnas is a legislative analyst. Thank you both. Thanks. Thank you. That's it for this week. We'll talk to you again real soon. Thank you for listening to Suspending the Rules. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud. Find out more about the topics we discussed today and a whole lot more from Bloomberg government at about.bgov.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at bgov. The legislative analyst team is Sarah Babbage, Noreen Chowdhury, Daniel Parnas, Michael Smallberg, and me, Adam Taylor. Our editor is Adam Shank. Nico Anzalata is our sound engineer. Our theme music is Home Organ by Zach Nasita. More information can be found at premiumbeat.com.